So one of the questions that I ask all of my B'nai Mitzvah students when I meet with them to help them prepare their Torah readings, when I meet with them, I, I ask them a lot of questions to get to know them a little better. And one of the questions that I ask them is, if your parents said to you, we're moving tomorrow, and you have to leave everything behind. You can't take anything with you. Well, you can take one thing, one thing from your room. What would that thing be? What is your most prized possession that you have in your room today? And I get some very interesting answers from the B'nai Mitzvah students about their most prized possessions. Things like a particular poster that they have hanging on their wall. Things like a trophy or ribbon or an award that they received from something that they're particularly proud of. Sometimes they even tell me that they have some stuffed animal or a little blanket that they've had since they were a child that they want to take with them. Well, for the first time, uh, one of the students uh, turned it back on me because they were sort of struggling to figure out what it would be, what they would keep in their room. And they said, well, what would you keep in your room? And I turned to my office to the thing that I have in my office, my brick. It looks like just an ordinary brick, right? But this brick is particularly special to me. It says on there, if you've ever been in my office, you've seen this, Original brick, original Comiskey Park brick, 1910 to 1991, Speedway Wrecking Crew. This brick was one of the bricks of the of Comiskey Park, the original Comiskey Park, where the White Sox played. They destroyed that uh, park in 1991, and they built the U.S. Cellular Field. Uh, I prefer the old Comiskey, but that's okay. Uh, and uh, at first, people were going in and uh, grabbing bricks from the construction site. So they sort of locked it down and realized that they could make some money off of it. And then they began slapping on these little uh, uh, plaques onto the bricks and selling them. And I was able to, uh, to get one, and I've carried around with me since 1991, I know it's not a long time, but since 1991 when I got it, I've had it with me wherever I have been. The reason I share this with you this morning is because I noticed something in this morning's Torah portion that I really hadn't really thought about or noticed before. In the discussion of the manna, after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, the very first thing they do well, I guess the first thing they do is thank God for having uh, allowed them to cross the Red Sea safely. But the very second thing they do after they uh, praise God for that is what? They complain. They start to complain already, right? The water is, tastes terrible. The water is bitter. Where are we gonna, what are we going to eat? Right? You've taken us out into the desert. We could have been, you could have buried us in Egypt. Why did you bring us all the way out here just to get buried? And so God tells them that he's going to bring this miracle in which he's going to present them 
every morning with fresh mana. Right? Every morning there'll be fresh mana. And they can only eat it that day. They can't leave any leftovers till the next day. Anything that's left over till the next day is going to go bad. And he also tells them, and uh, on Friday, you'll take a double portion, because I don't want you out collecting it on, Sh on Saturday, on Shabbat. And he's going to continue to give them this motto, we're told, for 40 years in the desert. They're going to survive on this motto. Think about that incredible miracle, a miracle that lasts for 40 years. Sajagaon, one of the great scholars of the diaspora, said that he believes, in fact, that the manna was the greatest miracle God had ever wrought. Right? Thinking about the idea that for 40 years, every day, they were sustained by the grace of God. But that's not what caught my eye. What caught my eye, what I never noticed before, was this little command that God tells the Israelites about the manna. So you have the sheets, it says, Moses said, this is what the Lord God has commanded, let one omer of it be kept throughout the ages, in order that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put one omer of the manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout the ages. And the Lord had commanded Moses, and Aaron placed it before the pact. They had a little jar of manna that they carried with them for 40 years in the desert, that when they settled in the land of Israel, they kept together with the Mishkan, with the tabernacle. And as we'll see in a minute, it lasted all the way until the first temple period that this little jar of manna all the way back from the time of Yitziat Mitzrayim continued to be with the Israelites until at least, according to the Talmud, until at least 500 or so BCE. That's a long time. I think about our own notion in our society of keeping things, ancient things, in museums. We have a little museum of our own right outside of oil lamp, ancient oil lamps. What is it that possesses us to want to keep these things? What possesses someone to keep a brick from Comiskey Park? What is it about these things that we want to keep them with us? Well, as it says in the text, God wanted us to have a reminder of this miracle that he wrought during the Exodus. But look at what Rashi says. Rashi says something very interesting. The jar of manna, the brick, whatever it is that we ourselves keep, means more than just reminding us of what that event was. It's becomes a sign for us of something deeper, something more important. So Rashi quotes a Midrash, and by the way, this is the only Midrash I could find that speaks about this jar. It comes from uh, uh, the Mechilta, the Rebbe Yishmael. He says, in the days of Jeremiah, 
When Jeremiah was rebuking them, the people saying, why do you not engage yourselves with Torah? So when the people started to slack a little bit in their observance and in their study, he would say to them, why are you slacking? And they would answer, you know, what are we supposed to do? We have to work all day. We have to make a living. We don't have time to study Torah or engage in this observance. What are we, how are we going to learn to earn a living? So he would then grab that cruise of oil and lift it up and show it to them. And he would say to them, oh, generation, you see the thing of the Lord. Because the text says, re'u, see the thing of the Lord, not shemu, not hear the thing of the Lord. And so that when you see this, you're supposed to remember all of the things God did for the Israelites when they left Egypt, including how God sustained them through 40 years in the desert. And you should know that God will sustain you, that you can take some time out to study Torah. It's okay. It's important. And God will help and provide. That jar of manna for the people was supposed to represent more than just the jar and the manna, more than just some relic of the past. It was supposed to well up within them a message. And I think that's what these things do for us in our own lives. When I look at this brick, I remember those days, those evenings, when my dad or my cousin would take me to see White Sox games when I was a kid. And I remember those times with you know, great affection and joy. I loved going to the ballpark. I didn't get to go often, but I loved getting to go. I have a personal connection to the White Sox, right? And the brick helps remind me of that. In our lives, we each have our own things that we keep to help remind us of moments in the past so that when we look at them, we're reminded not just of those events themselves, but what they meant to us. The feelings that those events and those places and those things brought about in us. And I think that that's what this jar for the Israelites was all about. It was about reminding them of that moment. And so the question, of course, is what happened to this jar? What happened to it? And so the text actually tells us in the Sechet Yom of the Talmud, the Talmud that deals with Yom Kippur, and deals with the whole discussion of what went on in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple in the, on Yom Kippur, they're discussing all the little rituals that the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, had to do with all the different things that were around the Aron. And the Mishnah talks about things and the, these things. And the Talmud says, well, is this talking about something that took place during the first temple period or the second temple period? And the answer that the rabbis give is, well, it must have been talking about something that took place during the first temple period. Why? Because the things that they're talking about in the Mishnah didn't exist in the Second Temple period. How do we know that? Because look what it says. 
Wasn't it taught in a brighta that when the ark was buried, along with it was buried the jar of manna that was next to it, and the flask of oil used for anointing, and Aaron's staff with its almonds and blossoms, and the chest that the Philistines sent as a gift to the God of Israel after they captured the ark and were stricken with several plagues, as it stated, and put the jewels of gold that you returned him for the guilt offering in a coffer by its side, and send it that it may go. And who buried the ark? Yoshia, king of Judea, buried it. And what did he see that he decided to bury it? He saw that it was written, The Lord will bring you and your king whom you shall set over you to a nation that you have not known. Since he knew that the Jewish people would ultimately be exiled, he felt it was better that the ark should not be disgraced in exile and therefore arose and buried it. So think about what they're talking about there. They're basically talking about all these little things that they had next to the ark, all these reminders of important events that happened. And King Josiah took it and he decided that he was nervous. He had this vision when he read the text that said that God was going to bring a king that was going to destroy the nation. He had a vision that it was coming soon. It was going to be Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BCE. And so he took the uh, ark and he took all these things and he buried them somewhere. And nobody found them until Indiana Jones unearthed them. The point is, take a moment in your own life and think about what it is that you keep in your homes. Think about it. Those little, it could be a little trinket that you keep in your drawer. It could be the chest of drawers itself. It could be anything that you're saving because you have some connection to it, some memory of it. And the lesson that we learn from this week's Torah portion is that those things are important for us to keep around because they do help us connect back to our past. Shabbat Shalom. We're going to continue now with the Chatzikadosh before the Musaf Abed.